Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stories of Light. I'm so excited to be here with my beautiful guest, Rachel Goodwin. Rachel, welcome. Oh, my goodness. I'm so, I'm so excited to have you here. I can't even <laughs> Um, so for those of you who are new to Rachel, um, Rachel is an author, priestess, master healer, and spiritual teacher who works with and channels Sarah, daughter of the Magdalene and Yeshua, and the lineage of the Blue Rose. Um, she also works with the Norse um, gods and goddesses, specifically the goddess Freja, and works with the Norse runes. So I'm really, really excited. Today's topic, we're diving deeply into the power of the runes into Rachel's connection with the goddess Freja. And I just feel like there's so much wisdom that's going to come through. And I'm just so excited to have you here today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And so my first question is that, you know, many people in today's world, you know, they love connecting with Egyptian gods and goddesses or Greek goddesses. And I'm feeling like the the Norse deities are a little less talked about. You know, why do you think that is? Yeah. So, yeah, that was my experience. Exactly. And I moved to Denmark in 2014 because I married a Danish guy. And it was quite hard to find, like, how do I live in this country that is, in a lot of ways, it's similar to England, but in a lot of ways, it's really, really different. And obviously, the language is completely different. So I didn't want to feel like really alienated. And what came in the end was like my way in was through spirituality. And, you know, so I've got all these books, you know, I brought all these books with me over from Great Britain, and I'm like looking in them all where's the stuff about Nordic spirituality? <laughs> like nothing, nothing. I've got this whole book full of like goddesses for pagans and witches, hardly anything on the Nordic stuff. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> okay. Well, this, what's that about? Absolutely. Yes. This is a bit tricky because my Danish is not really, you know, like, because there's like books in, in Scandinavian languages, but like really, really little, um, in English so I didn't really know what to do about that I found a couple of bits here and there but nothing was really uh. and then after I'd been here a couple of years I had to go to language school Brexit happened if people don't know what Brexit is it's where Great Britain in her wisdom decided to cut itself off economically <laughs> and administratively from Europe which meant that I no longer had a right to live here. So I suddenly had to try and fulfill all these requirements of living in Denmark, which is one of the hardest countries to get residency in the world. I don't get any brownie points for being married. They don't care about that. So I had to um, like really pull my bootstraps up and go and learn Danish to quite a high level and pass all these exams. Come the summer, I get a summer break and I'm like, oh my God, because <laughs> I've like been like mentally running for the last you know year or two trying to learn this language and I thought god I really need a break I really need to do something spiritual I thought right I want to do some shamanism stuff this was like 2016 something like that and um yeah I found some courses they were all booked up this is in in Copenhagen then I did an online course with Sandra Ingerman. Couldn't find anything sort of Nordic. And then one of the people she trained was a lady called Imelda Amquist. Now she's Dutch. 
but she lives in the UK and she's married to a Swedish guy. <laughs> and she was teaching an introduction to like Nordic shamanism to save her over in um Skåne, uh yeah. It was near Lund. I can't remember the name of it, but just over the border in Sweden, like you just have to like go across the bridge and like it's an hour and I, it was like there. And I was like, oh my God. And it's in English. Great. And it's not like the stars aligned. It was like everything you needed. Oh my goodness. To totally, totally. So I went to that and I was just like telling people, I'm just going because like I really need to get some understanding of like the spirituality of this land because like at the moment I'm completely clueless. And that was it. That's all I was going to do. <laughs> I went on this intro course and it was, I mean, it was really, really amazing. So it's a really, it's really another way of looking at working with the runes and work, because actually a lot of us don't realise this, but there are books and books and books and books about Nordic mythology, all written by academics so it's been a big thing to write about in universities since like the 1800s. And like initially, like mainly up until fairly recently, they were all written by men. Mm. So a lot of stuff about Odin, <laughs> like Odin, 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 because they were like interested in all the like the manly stuff. Um, yeah. And. I went on this thing in Sweden and it was just like, it was a completely different way of looking at it. I tried to learn runes when I got to Denmark. Um, I had a message from Spirit um, that said, make your own rune set. They will be your power. And I was like, I love that. I love how it's so powerful. You're like, oh yeah. Okay. I was so unimpressed. I was so unimpressed. I'd like, I had no interest in runes at all. They'd never ever appeal to me in any way whatsoever but I did have loads of stones around the house because I'm one of these people that wherever I go there's always a stone that says take me with you <laughs> take me with you so I had all these so I used I used and I love you know I love stones so I used these magical stones and I would create a rune each week and like paint it on there but then got all these books and then just ended up completely confused I was just like because actually we don't know that much about the runes and where there's not much information people tend to fin fill in the blanks and so you get runes that are very much actually about the Kabbalah or mm -hmm. about Wicca or it, it, a lot of rune interpretations are actually more about our modern society today and I just I couldn't I just couldn't get a handle on any of it so going back to the introduction to save the course that I did over in Sweden, they taught us how to journey with the runes. Oh, that sounds really powerful. I get what yeah. you're saying. Almost like all the other times, like you said, like there's that Kabbalistic lens or like that Wiccan lens. And it's like not really the truth of what the runes originally stood for. It's not like the real energy that they were originally connected with. So that's yeah. really powerful. Yeah. Also, because also because I was like reading about it, so I'm trying to use my left brain logical mind, which works fairly well most of the time. But it, that's not the way to connect to somebody like. So this is how I explain like working with these runes to people. It's like if you want to get to know somebody, you can read a book about them if somebody's <laughs> written one, and it will tell you stuff that actually 
if you want to know about that person, you need to go and meet them. You need to build a relationship with them. And this is what this is what um, doing the SAZA training, like one of the things it did, that's what it taught me to do. I love that. That's really powerful. Like even when you said that, I just felt like the almost like a transmission there because you're right. So many people like we watch something on television, we read a book and we're like, oh, I know all about that person, but you don't. There's so many things that you only get from being like one-on-one with someone, like, like hearing their voice, like, you know, kind of just like seeing what they eat for breakfast and how they take their coffee. It's like, there's an intimacy that forms when you really kind of commit to the knowing of someone. So I feel like that's what you're talking about with the runes. It's like the books are helpful, but it's not the same as just, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So that's it. So if you start to build up your relationship, because people sort of say, you know, how long do I need to learn the runes? And I'm like, well, how how good do you want your relationship to be with the runes? Do you want to have a superficial relationship? And maybe that's enough for you just to get a quick bit of, do you want to have a deep relationship where you can do like really magical work? You know, because not everybody wants to go really, really deep into it. And some people want to be somewhere in between. So it's really about like, what you want to achieve from them. Yes, I love that. So actually, before we go any further, because I know that like, it sounded like that shamanism course was life-changing for you. And so my next question is like, you know, what is like Nordic spirituality to you? Once you opened up, like how would you define Nordic spirituality? Well, I mean, going back to those early beginning days, I've never really been able to find something that mirrors me in modern society. I've done lots of courses, as have many of us. I trained to become a healer. I trained to become a channel. I trained to become a this, that and the other. But I never really found myself. And so I have a book here. So I brought a few of my books because, you know, I'm saying journeying is the way. Yes, it is. But there's also the knowledge is really important to have both of them together that's the power. I have this lovely book. This is called The Seed of Yggdrasil. And it is written by a Norwegian woman um, called Maria Kvilhaug. That's K-V-I-L-H-A-U-G. And she is a scholar. Now, she started off at Oslo University and then realised that the academic world was not going to support her in the research that she wanted to do. So she struck out on her own and she's got a Patreon page and she's produced quite a few books now. And she is phenomenal. I mean, for many of us, she has kind of changed the face of Nordic spirituality because she looks at the old Norse um, Eddas and texts and she interprets them with her academic knowledge, but also with her own wisdom and with her own intuition and so at the beginning of this book there is a list of job descriptions that used to kind of exist in old Norse times so we think of the Vikings but actually there was a lot happening before the Viking period as well so we have Saver all right, so that's magic, sorcery, witchcraft, divination, oracle, shamanism. We have words like galda, and that's spell songs and charms. So a lot of magic is done using these spell songs. We have blot, which is sacrifice. And in those days, 
there was quite a lot of blood involved these days we're probably thinking you know more in terms of blessing water incense or something that we want to sacrifice personally but probably not I'm not a big blood person so I'm not doing that <laughs> another word which is lovely is utiseta and that means sitting outside so the old Norse they would do like vision quests mm. but they would go and sit on their burial mounds or somewhere sacred in the forest and maybe do it at night and then they would get their wisdom that way this actually got banned Christianity came in that actually got banned to I can't remember what the consequences were but it was extremely serious because people wouldn't stop doing it it was their way of getting their wisdom way of being. absolutely <laughs> then we have things like scald and that was a bard or a poet they were massive on stories they were storytellers and the story would you know change many many times depending on the audience and depending what wisdom was coming through but some of these stories were written down and that's what we find in the poetic edders and the prose edders so there is quite a lot of um stuff that was saved from that time which is unusual because it was quite a long time ago so the scows were very, very important and they were like big, high up in their society. So were the vulvas, the voleurs. They were the wand witches. So they were the ones being the witches, the priestess and the oracles and say the conas and say the martyrs. They are like the men and women. It was more of a womanly thing. The men were a bit like, I don't know. It's a bit unclear. Actually, Maria Camille is bringing out a new book soon. I'm just waiting for it. It's been a while where she is actually contesting some of this because there is the thought that it was very unmanly and all the rest of it. But I did hear her talking about it. And she said she thinks a lot of that is Christian hype that came out afterwards. <laughs> so I'm interested to see what she says in her book. We have... Um, Goldie and Gulia, and they were like the people who officiated at the rituals, but they tended to be the lord and lady of the household. Mm. So these, a lot of the rituals, they were done like in the hall where you lived. They weren't sort of you, a separate like thing where you went somewhere. It was sort of part of the household. Part of the, life, part of the culture. Exactly, yeah. exactly. A lot of the time. And then you get sacrificial priests and priestesses and people that um sort of specialize in these things but when I looked at this list I could see myself in it I could see a society like where I belonged but I don't particularly feel that in in this society that we're in because it's not considered um an honorable profession being a channel in fact it's not even considered a profession at all people don't believe in it people don't take it take it seriously but when I looked at this I really really found myself so that was sort of a long answer no, I <laughs> love that no, no no I think that's so beautiful because like in that society you would have been so honored I think that's the thing I feel that too because I really identify with like the the energy of the bard and when people hear that they're like oh what's that like and it's the same thing there's like no respect for it and it's just like no if we had lived in that ancient time it would have been like so much love so much reverence and yes but yes and no because humanity is humanity right 
It's true. And there's always there's always pros and cons. So in sort of old Norse times, so these three ladies I've got sitting behind me, they are the Norns. And that was a huge part of their understanding of how the world works. So the Norns are mistresses of the weave. They are more powerful than the gods and the goddesses themselves. They are there to keep balance in the world. They are charged with keeping the web of weird in balance. So if you think about this web, they're not spinners, they're weavers. There's always reference to weaving with the norns, but people sort of equate them with the with the three Greek fates. Yes, the three fates. Um, I'm going to share more about like the web of weird for people because I think that's a very ancient concept and I don't think a lot of people are familiar with it. So it would be like, it's what the world is spun on, basically. It's how it's made. It's made up with these threads. So we all have our own personal threads. So for example, like, so there I am, little spirit in the outer world coming into this world. I'm coming down onto my own thread of destiny. That is, of course, part of the ancestral line. So I don't choose exactly because it's an ancestral la a destiny that I'm landing on. So I have to deal with the consequences of that when I get here. But I get a norn when I'm born. I get my own personal norn who watches over my life and, you know, is a connected to all of this fate thing. But everyone has the power to skillfully weave their own fate with what they've been given. And this is actually what the art of savor is. It is about how you deal with that fate and how you can skillfully manipulate it as much as you can for your benefit, for your family's benefit, for your community's benefit. Because we have to remember that the old Norse lived in very, very challenging times. They all needed each other so much. It was never about me. It was always about us. I love that. That is that is really, really powerful. And I actually, I think this is one of my later questions, but I think it's a good moment. Can you explain? I, I don't want to mispronounce it, but like- Oh, what, but I just, I, I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss what I was wanted to tell you. And that was, so this norm thing. So if you're a prophetess, if you're a, a safe cone or a, a vulva, and you are known for your power of prophecy, when you give people prophecy, you're kind of, they see you as like being a voice of like the norms almost. So your words have power. So if you speak prophecy over someone, it's making it come true. So <laughs> you can imagine in a situation where you're there with, you know, people that are quite powerful. Later on, especially, there's a lot of wars going on, a lot of fighting happening. You give someone a bad prophecy that is going to be really bad for you, basically. And I think that was a really, really tricky situation because like when you're channeling, you're bringing things through, you don't have any control over what's being said. And yet you know that if you utter these words, that might be the end of you. <laughs> <laughs> or at least your career, you know? It's like, I, so the fact that you were so 
considered so powerful it's almost like the higher you go up on a pedestal the, the further it is to fall there yeah. were some really you know difficult things in that that were not easy no I can imagine especially I feel like in that spirit realm and things are always changing I think that's what's kind of interesting when you're talking about that like the threads of destiny the threads of fate it's like even if something is seen in one moment it can be changed so I think that's really, I don't know. I feel like I never really thought of that before. I feel like you telling that story and like sharing all the different like kind of people in that society. I don't know. I just feel like I almost went back in time listening to you. Like I could just, I could just feel myself there, like giving like the prophecy, you know, like to, to someone of high power. So that was beautiful. Yeah. I'm yeah. just curious though, because you, um, you use the word before that, like, I don't know if others will be familiar with And I don't want to mispronounce it, but it's like Seder. Um, Neither. Yeah. yeah. So that D, that D in a lot of the words. So there's a D that is when you see it written down, it's sort of shaped like a D that goes over on its side and it has two lines through it. And that's called a soft D. And in those days, it was pronounced as sort of a the sound. Mm. So that's why it's say the, because it's a the. Say D. the. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now I know. Yeah. 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 I think that you were saying that part of like why people do the say there is like it is more connected to this like weaving of destiny. And so that's why I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I feel like my understanding of say there is like there is kind of like an experience of it's like divination, it's like journeying. I don't know, maybe that's not quite correct. So I'm wondering if you could share a little more about that. Well, I mean, you know, we only know so much because we're guessing and filling in the blanks and you know I was thinking about this myself this morning because like you know I so after I went and did this intro course um I committed to do another two years training which ended up being much longer because Covid interfered and you know I actually it took me four years to do all this training but a big part of that was the rooms and the room work that is, so I have another fantastic book here. This one's called Icelandic Magic. Ooh, that looks really exciting. Oh my and this is written by, well, he's got two different pen names, but in this one, he's called Stephen E. Flowers. And it's amazing. And this is this is stuff by the Icelandic magicians. And so the Icelandic magicians were working and doing their craft during the time of Christianity. But because they were in Iceland, in Iceland, they were much more um, sympathetic. They were different people from Scandinavia, but I know a lot of them were Norwegian. And um, they'd kind of gone to Iceland to get away from things that were going on in Norway. There was a king in Norway who I think was trying to get everyone together and agree with him on a lot of stuff. And they didn't want to. So they went off. They went off to Iceland and they were heavily pagan and not so keen on things being Christian. So these Icelandic magicians sort of managed to prosper, shall mm. we say, for quite a long time, late into, you know, an age where you wouldn't expect that people would be doing um, this kind of thing. I mean, this this symbol here this is called, um, after, I might not pronounce things right, because it is quite tricky. And also I forget which is the Old Norse and which is Danish pronunciation. And then I've got English thrown in there as well. But this is Aegis Yalmur, and it's the, it's the helm of ore. 
and they would put it on their um, helmets and shields and that to inspire terror in their enemies because going back to the Viking period, they did use shamanism to go into battle. They would take on the like energy of bears and of wolves and like be overlit, you know, so, you know, when oh I'm, traveling, really I'm being, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm being like over, over, overshadowed by Sarah or Freya or whoever it is that I'm working with. They were, you know, working with these animal energies and that's one of the reasons why they were so fearsome sure. is yes. they would use shamanic um techniques and you know this is another thing about the old norse is that actually a lot of their magic was battle magic a lot of their and this is why you know another reason why you know magical men and women were so valued because they were seen as like helping you fight that battle it's a bit scary when you think about it be honest yeah no absolutely but I totally understand that I could because I feel like I have an easy time connecting with the animal kingdom people are always like I almost can get into that kind of animal consciousness very easily and I never thought about you know needing it for battle because <laughs> I've never been in a battle in this lifetime but no but I can just see like to connect with that consciousness how powerful that would be and I just feel like these are just these are like almost lost arts I don't know if like we're we're meant to practice them anymore, but I can see that it was such a different way of existing in the world. And yeah. I yeah. think this was so interesting. It seems like every aspect of life was connected to spirit. Like you said, even battle was connected to spirit. Like you would have the different people giving the prophecies. Like it just seems like spirituality was so much woven into like the original fabric of this culture. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and in that way, it does sort of mirror the Egyptian culture, you know, because they also just like it was just part of their life. It wasn't something they believed in. It was just this is this is how it was. And yeah, you know, you can sort of say, oh, it's not great. them using stuff in battle and everything. But when you look at the techniques that they were using, you can use that and then think, right. So how can this be used for the highest good now? You know, there's always something interesting to be to be learned from these things. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I understand. One of the uh, goddesses I work with is the Morrigan. She's an Irish goddess and she's actually a battle goddess. Yeah. And I really connect with her when I have to go into this energy of being fearless. So I'm not like literally going into physical battle, but it's like that moment where I, I need that strength. I, I feel like even if we don't use the ancient tools, like exactly the way they were first conceived, I think there still could be a, a 21st century place for them that really yeah. can help us in a beautiful way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I really loved about the training that Imelda and Chris did. She was, she, she is also such a scholar and loves studying these old texts, but then she'll teach that and then say, right, let's all go and do a journey now where we are bringing down like what it is we need right now and today so that it becomes a living thing. It's not something that's stuck in the past. And yeah, we did all that sort of in the middle of the Swedish forest, which was just like, it was so magical, so magical being there on the land. It sounds absolutely magical. Um, so I'm just curious um, because I know that we we're going to talk about Freya. Um, I also don't know if I'm totally pronouncing her name right. Can you tell me how, do, how yeah. is is it Freja? Is it Freya? How do we pronounce it? It's Freya. It's Freya. In Denmark, they say Freya. Okay. 
though sometimes I, I switch and say it a different way because it's like it's quite tricky for me like because I've got all these different ways of saying things I know, <laughs> I know but it's funny because there's like the, there's a desire for me to really honor the it's almost yeah. like, for example I know this like my last name Berkovici no one can pronounce it and it's so funny because I remember growing up and just the power of a name and like wanting to show that respect and so and I know it's Freya, perfect. And so I'm just curious, like, it sounds like you, I know from uh, different things on your website that you do have a deep relationship with this goddess. And I know that some people see Freya as like, she's like a Norse goddess of love, like Aphrodite or Venus. Is that how you connect with her? Or is there another energy that she brings through? Yeah, it's not like that at all. And I mean, you know, this is this is this is how we are now in modern society. We want to categorize everybody. Oh, so this god is good for this. This goddess is good for that. You know, it's a real new age addiction, like giving everybody a category and then being able to produce a nice oracle card for them. But the thing is, like, things don't work like that, do they? Imagine, like, if you took all of us different people and said, right, Rachel is for this. Elizabeth is for this. <laughs> this color that it it's just not it's just not going to work. So I always kind of knew that wasn't right. Um, Freya means Our Lady, and because there's Freya and there's Frey, there's the two of them, and they come from what is thought to be an older pantheon of mm. Norse gods, and the Vanir called the Vanir, and the Vanir the ones that had all the magic. It was them that had the savor. And then you've got the Aesir, and that is like Odin and, you know, these sort of newer gods that come along who just like fighting everybody and know it all, you know. And Freya actually taught Odin savor. Oh, I love that. So it's so funny because I think we think of him as the all-father, as the all-powerful one. The yeah. fact that he was actually taught by Freya, that is amazing. I mean, we have to remember, because like, I mean, this happened in a lot of cultures in Greece and, you know, across Scandinavia, things got very, very patriarchal. They weren't like that to Originally, start off with. Yes. You know, and it's thought that Tua or Tia actually was like the original kind of all father. And Tua, he is um, talked about in the Eddas. He um, is well known for having his hand cut off because he had to put his hand into the mouth of Fenrir this wolf oh yes who he was saving everybody he's very very noble he's very very noble too and he's actually connected to um this oh god what's it called this thing with the oh I'm, I, my memory's terrible this is why I could never be a story storyteller storyteller where you've got the warriors like frothing at the mouth and everything. Oh, I know, I know, I know what you mean. I don't know exactly the word, but I know what you're talking about. It begins with B. <laughs> Is it the berserker? Is yes, it thank you. <laughs> yeah, cool. Got there. Here we yeah. Go. So he's like a real like warrior, divine, masculine energy, and it's thought that Odin is a later version of him, and Odin's seen as like a battle you know warrior chief person but actually if you look at Odin a lot of his qualities it's very much of a save man <laughs> so he's actually very shamanic as well that's okay so that's really interesting yeah, yeah. um 
So I'm just curious, because I definitely want to go back to Odin later. And I'm curious, I didn't know there was an original Alpha. I didn't know there was a different Alpha. Well, there's ideas, you know, people find this text and say, you know, so no one really knows. But I I have a feeling that there's something to that. So yeah, so Freya being a love goddess, not not really. She was like, like Isis, you know, quite vast. Mm, So to try and put her in one thing plus there's also frigg who's another goddess that has a lot of similar qualities to her and also you know when you find like different things they get sort of the same name here the other thing that you have to remember is that scandinavia covers quite a big part also part of germany as well i mean it's like maybe all of germany actually that's where this sort of spirituality was covering this whole area and so, I mean, for me, Nordic spirituality, it's about the land where I live. It's all coming through the land. So where I live, I have a tree outside um, the apartments where we live. It's a linden tree or a lime tree. That's sacred to Friar. Mm. So I connect with her through that tree. There's a place... Um, so I live in a town called Groskila, which is famous for its crispy in the seat of Christianity and having this Domkirke, this cathedral where the kings and queens are buried. But actually, there's a lot of old religion around here or old spirituality. There's just burial mounds and dolmens and things all over the place. And they're so in the landscape. But I'm going to have a probably different feeling about it all than to someone who lives in Norway and there's all these amazing fjords with all the cliffs and then in Sweden because we're really southern Scandinavia here very different climate to like if you're up in the colds of Sweden you know you're almost like living in the Arctic up there and each place they had their own thing going they had their own like local gods or goddesses that's why there's so many different names that's why there's so many different attributes and stories and we try and learn them all we we take one of them and we say right I'm going to learn everything about this but it was something that then that covered like thousands of miles I don't think people realize how vast this was that's yeah I think it kind of just hit home for me when you said that it was even like down into Germany like that Britain and Britain Because a lot of them went and lived in in the UK as well, in Scotland. And at one point, there were so many Danes living in Britain that the the, the local king there decided to get get rid of them all and had this huge, like, just murdered. Oh, my God. Thousands of people, like, just got rid of all of them and then took all their lands and all the rest of it. But, I mean, they were were very, very present in the UK. And you can see that in in the place names and in the culture and... They have their own kind of rune set as well, the Anglo-Saxon and the Northumbrian rune set. Yeah, that's so interesting. I was in Glastonbury like a year and a half ago, and I remember seeing like there were different things that were connected to like Odin and like the Norse runes. I remember being almost confused, like why is this here? But I I didn't realize that literally the imp- the impact had spread so far. And so- Ireland as well. Yeah. A lot of a lot of connections to Ireland. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of like yeah Nordic people in Ireland. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think it's just because it's like us being in our modern time period. I think we forget, just, especially the Vikings or even before them, like how how much they traveled between yeah. the different places and how much they spread their culture. 
So that is really powerful. I wasn't totally aware of that. Um, mm -hmm. So before I um, forget, I just wanted to make sure I assess another question about Freya. So I'm just curious, what are, because I know you said you connect with her by, um, by the beautiful tree in your backyard. And I'm just wondering, what are some of the most important things that, you know, she has, you know, taught you over the years and what kind of messages does she like to bring through? So going back to that book, The Seed of Yggdrasil by Maria Kvilhaug, right at the beginning, she talks about um, Freya as being like, the original Saith Kona, like the first witch. And she is talked about as being like a sacrificial priestess. She had power. She knew how to use it. But she was in society. She wasn't sort of like some separate temple priestess sort of person do you know what I mean yes you see her as like being like the housefrau and the housefrau was like the housewife she was like the head of the household she held the keys she organized everything she also did the rituals <laughs> she also made sure her husband was the most powerful person around by using all of her attributes fire is famous for using her sexuality to get what she wants sometimes she's she's got a guy sometimes she hasn't you know i think there's some frig you know they talk about frig who people think of fire maybe she is maybe she isn't she was married to odin <laughs> so many um womanly stories about her where they didn't see it in a negative way that she used everything at her fingertips to make sure that um, she got the best life possible for her and her kind of clan, if you like. And I really like that about her. I like that too, because I think people are just like trying to be like, oh, like I'm demure. And I feel like she's just like, I'm using all of my power. Why would I <laughs> why would I shy away I love that I don't know I just feel like there's like a fearless embodiment like almost like of that sexual power but for good I think that's what's so beautiful about it and also I feel like it's almost like claiming I feel like the best life because I think all of us yeah. here, we're here to live life to the fullest we're here to live our best lives and I think sometimes people they don't want to fully own their full power and step into that so I just I love that I I've never really known that about Freya before <laughs> yeah well that might be I know when we meet people we all form a different opinion of them that might particularly be my way of looking at her I don't know do you know what I mean because that's yes, like my do. relationship with her but um yeah she's she's formidable for sure but yeah, no, but I love that because when I would read the different things like you know she is like a love goddess like Venus I was just like I was like, energetically, I literally couldn't connect because I was like, she doesn't, mm -hmm. I'm, because I'm, I am connected to Venus and Aphrodite. And I was just like, Freya does not seem to have the same energy. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really know how to put into words, like the difference. But now I think you've really described, like, she really is a, I feel like a powerhouse of a goddess. Yeah. It sounds like she will use whatever power is at her disposal. And it sounds like you said, um, I think you said like, she was the one who taught Odin, like, um, I'm going to say it wrong now, Sitha. 
stay there. Okay. Yeah. I got the end part right. No, but it's like that, these kinds of more magical powers of like divination. It's like, I just, I didn't realize how powerful she was. That's like very yeah. So I'm also just curious um, if people who are listening, um, if it's possible to do any kind of magic with Freya um, and also for the people who are listening, is there a way that they can connect more with her in their daily lives? So, so one of the, one of the big things as I've already mentioned with Norse culture is it's about balance. So you give and you receive, it's not about sort of going and asking for things and just getting them, you know? So offerings are quite a powerful way to connect um, with Nordic spirituality. So it would be a really nice thing to like, you know, like at the moment, there's a lot of apples and things around. Bushes are covered with all kind of nature stuff. That would be my way of doing it. I would go out and I would collect something that I really love and then I would lay it out somewhere and say, you know, Freya, these are for you. And have a conversation with her about how, you know, I want it, I want her to, I want her to help me. I wouldn't just sort of just light a candle and start us sort of so having a checklist of <laughs> this is this. I want this, I want this, yes. <laughs> yeah, because there's always a price to pay. There's a rune called Gifu that's a cross. And it means gift, but it's a gift that you have to pay for. You always have to like offer something and you might find more when you're working with Nordic spirituality, that they expect you to do the right thing. So, you know, they might say through, you know, direct communication or through signs and symbology and you doing readings and card spreads or whatever, they might say, yeah, OK, we'll help you with this. But actually, you need to step it up with this. You need to take more responsibility or, you know, we want you to go and help this person if we're going to help you. You know, they, there'll be conditions, mm -hmm. shall we say. And then you have to do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think that's so powerful. I love that because I think a lot of times people think it is almost like a Christmas list. It's like, I'd like this, I'd like this. And, and it's just like, like you said, it's almost like what you described earlier with the runes. It's like, do you want to have a superficial relationship or do you want to have a real relationship? And it sounds like the deeper that you connect with them, it does sound like, especially, I love when you said like, they might tell you to go help somebody else. I, I feel like that's them almost like casting their, you know, their seeds of destiny in the world. So I, I really feel like a lot of times when we connect with the gods and goddesses, it's almost like, again, I want you to help me with this. And we don't realize that they really are active forces, you know, participating in the creation with us. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love that you shared that. Yeah. Can I just say, can I just say a bit more about that? Yes. Like, I love that. Yes. The norns sitting behind me, I can sort of see them like being, hello. Talk about us here. So the norms are amazing to talk to. We get pulled into a lot of things where we feel guilty if we don't do this and feel bad if we can't do that. The norms are completely subjective. And they said to me, sorry, completely objective. And they said to me some years ago, look, you have to stop giving so much because actually you're unbalancing the web of weird with your own like personal destiny line and I was like 
oh my you know I'm a compulsive giver you know <laughs> I used to be a nurse <laughs> nurses are caretakers it's like oh let me rescue the whole world and you know give 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 not everyone of course but you know it is a bit of a dynamic amongst people like that and like me and um that was the first time that I really felt like wow god they've really really got a point so they are a great person to talk to the Nornia there's three of them you go down to the bottom of Ugdrasil they have a well at one of the routes called the well of Erda and if you ask them to give you objective insight on a situation they will clear that up for you straight away I love that oh my god I'm gonna do that like quite right when we get off the call I'll be like okay I'm having my sacred journey I love that yeah Oh my God. It's funny. Cause I didn't really have any questions about the Norns, but it's almost like they wanted to be part of this call. It's like, they're your background. I love that. I mean, they're actually a bigger part of Nordic spirituality than anything else, but not that many people have heard of them. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I drew a card in one of my Oracle decks a couple of years ago. That was all about the web of weird. And it was so interesting because I was just, there was something about that my whole body like lit up. And I remember it was funny. I used to work in a high school and it was right around that time. I was, I randomly got put in a classroom and the teacher wrote like the web of weird on the board behind me. And I was like, oh my God, why is this here? And so it was like one of those kind of funny moments. Um, I think, I don't know what story like the kids in that class were learning about, but I guess somehow the teacher put it on the board for a second, but it kind of blew me away because I was like, oh my God, this is like interacting with my 3D life. What is this? And I, you know, that was almost like, I, I think that was five years ago and I haven't thought about that moment till right now. And so mm -hmm. that's why I just think it's interesting that like, I remember it was like a very old concept, this idea of weird. And I think it's pronounced or not pronounced. I think it's spelled. It's like W-Y-R-D. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where the word, our regular word weird, our modern word comes from. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can actually des describe more of this, the original word weird, because I don't think a lot of people know what it means, actually. I think it's actually an old English Word. Okay. but old English and old Norse had a lot of similarities and it's kind of been borrowed from old English because they were also working with these kind of concepts and understandings um, and it's been borrowed because you say web of weird and people get it you know it's like it makes sense I mean there's there's plenty of other words there's there's another word that's really good like orlock and that is like the primal law. It's the sum of all events that led to today. So when you're on the web of weird, you're kind of having to like deal with your own like or Erlock er that has come from, like I said, like your ancestral line, from your society and from your own like personal um, fate. And then this is amazing room called now to that shelf like a line that goes down and has a cross through it and that is the rune of the norns that is the rune of destiny and fate and it's the need rune and you often pull it when something's going on in your life that you might not particularly like but fate has put it there for you 
because it is forcing you down certain paths or forcing you to deal with certain aspects of your inner world that maybe you didn't want to look at. The need rune is incredibly powerful and the norns, it's it's them that's involved in, in all of this. I love that. So it seems like they're very kind of energetically part of the runes. And I love that one that you just described because it almost like that kind of tough love energy. It's like, yeah. you might not want to go through this, but this is for your highest good. Yeah. I love and, that. Yeah. And like I said, even the gods and the goddesses are subject to the norms because they're subject to the fates as well and oh destiny. That is so yeah. fascinating. I just, I love that kind of way of looking at things like that one rune you talked about. I don't know if it was a rune, but it was like you said, it was like almost the summation of all of the actions that had taken place. Because I think a lot of times we look at our modern world and we're like, how did it get to be this way? And like, it's almost like we can't fathom it. But I think if we look through the lens of like this old Norse kind of culture, it's like, it's just the sum of all the actions. It's the sum of all that has gone before. I just feel like there's such a wisdom there. And mm. I think a lot of people in our modern world, they look at the world around them and they're almost like, because I think there's so many, there are a lot of beautiful things, but I think there are a lot of things that seem kind of broken. And so people just almost don't know what to do in a world like, I feel like a, a world that is so connected now and yet is still in need of so much healing. So I feel like what you're describing, these ancient concepts are a way for us to make sense of the world and also our place in it. So I just think that's really powerful. So yeah. I actually have um, another question because um, you've been talking about like the power of going on these sacred journeys. And so um, in North mythology, I know it said there are nine realms and that Freya rules over, I'm going to mispronounce this. It's like Folkvanor, um, where she received, yeah. how do I say it? I think it's Folkvanor. Okay. That's, I think that's prettier than the way I said it. Um, but I know that she receives half of those who die in battle and then Odin receives the other half. I'm um, in his realm in Valhalla. Um, so I'm just wondering, cause I know you've gone on a lot of sacred journeys. Have you connected with these places in your journeys? Uh, what are your connections? Like when you're kind of in these sacred journeys, are these the kind of places you visit? Most of the time, honestly, I'm talking to the norns, but I, <laughs> I use Uktrasil as a way to journey. So if I want to go and talk to the Aesir or the Rhaenyra, I travel up Uktrasil. It was thought to be an ash tree, but honestly, I think it's any tree. <laughs> you, go up, you go up to the top and they are the gods and the goddesses at the top. And then the Nornia, they're down the bottom, down by the roots. Um, no one knows really why Freya was getting half of the, the, the dead for battle. The reason why um, Odin was getting them is because of Ragnarok or Ragnarok. And that is in Ragnarok in Nordic cosmology is. So there's been worlds before there's worlds that will come. That's the way they look at things. And when this world comes to an end, they already know what's going to happen. It's all been prophesized. And that's round a rock. It's the end of this world. And then a new world will come. And all of the dead that go to Odin, they're going there because there's going to be this huge battle at the end of time with round a rock. And they're all going to be fighting there with Odin. And no one actually knows 
why half of them are going to Freya. So that's interesting. I've never journeyed on it, um, but I think I will now that you're yes, asking me about I it. I wonder, especially if she was, like you said, she was the one who was almost the original primal goddess and she even taught Odin. So it's, I don't know. I think that's really interesting. I just, I feel like we don't always think about like going way, way far back, those first goddesses, how much power they had because they were there at the beginning. Yeah, but I mean, they they really are a pantheon. I mean, the goddess who is overseeing all of that is Eden, which is interesting because it sounds like Eden. It's spelled E-D-U-N-N. And Eden is known for having this basket of apples. She's the one who keeps the gods and the goddesses alive because without her basket of apples, they get old, they degenerate and they get sick. And she is the one... She lives in a place called, I think it's Brunacker, and it's a field of wells. And when I heard that, I was just like, oh, because where I live in Roskila, it is a field of wells. It's just full of springs. This whole area um, has got melt water from the glaciers trapped in lime. And then there's just like springs coming up all over this area of um, Shayland. And... Um, Eden is the one who chooses who's going to be in the new world. And I love that because to me, it sounds like the new earth. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's, because it sounds like in the stories, it sounds like it's a literal like end of one world and beginning of another, but maybe it's symbolic because I know that this new- Because, yeah, because the sun, it's like her daughter that becomes the sun in that in that new world and I'm thinking because I mean Maria Kvilhag has really really championed this idea of Freya like being the first witch perhaps those that go to Freya perhaps they are the magical beings who are going to like be doing their bit that was amazing because it's just it's it's interesting it's just like half of them go to Freya and they don't actually say why I'm like what (laughs) and she gets the first pick before Odin oh my god okay so I love that oh my god um yeah but there's like there's so many other goddesses I mean there's Nett who's she is like an earth goddess there's hell and there's just so many whose names we've lost so Freya was just she was part of this like whole society basically which again is really really Norse I pulled a rune for us today and it's Marder it's this one. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, I can see it. Yes. It's like two lines with the cross in between it. And this is the rune of man. And when I looked at it today, I thought, oh, it's all about interdependence, like how we all need each other. Mm, I love that. I think that that can be, it can be kind of like either way. Sometimes like the fact that we need each other can not, it can feel like we're interdependent on each other in a way that doesn't always feel good. But I think it's also, we've been talking a lot about the web of weird. I think we are all connected in this yeah. one web of life. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget this. And even I feel like today talking about like the Norse spirituality, I think there are a lot of people who it's just like, they never really think about the Norse gods and goddesses. And yet it's woven into so many different aspects of life. And it's all right there happening at the same time. So I just... I feel like it's it's a beautiful room because it reminds us how connected we all are to each other. Yeah, 
And like to the old Norse, that was everything because that's how you survived. Mm. It was a really cold, hard life that they had. And without all of their clan around them, they would die. And the harsh, harshest sentence you could get was to be exiled. So if you murdered somebody or something like that, you'd be exiled and you wouldn't live because you couldn't you couldn't survive you could not survive without your your family around you they also expected their ancestors to work really really hard for them when a lot of the magic you were like getting your ancestors like do stuff for do you do this you, for me yeah <laughs> you weren't seeing them as a burden like we do now it's like oh god ancestors oh god i got to clear up all their energy Ugh. no it was like no their ancestors were like power and getting them you know <laughs> sorting things out up there so it happened down here and they saw them in a completely different way they can very very strongly loved them and honored them because they saw them as useful yeah I think that would be more helpful because nowadays we literally look at them I have to clear this there's this trauma in my family line and it's like we're in, oh my god I just feel like it's just such a different way of like seeing the world and experiencing reality mm -hmm. So I also have, um, I know we're, um, I think we're at an hour. So if you need to go, just let me know. But I, I'm just curious if you can share a little bit more about the runes because there's, I feel like there's so much mystery surrounding them. And I'm wondering like what makes them so powerful? Well, I mean, one of the stories is that when the cosmos was created, the runes were created at the same time. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh my God, I love that. And each rune holds part of the cosmos so together they hold the whole of the energy of like the cosmos and the creation and everything and that's why it's so powerful to sing in the runes and sing them in as a wheel of power because like within those runes there's everything that you need actually one of the people that i trained with got very very sick during covid and um, nearly died. And I heard her talking about it on an interview she did. And she said that when she was in hospital, like out of body, she looked down and she saw the runes surrounding her in a wheel of power. And when she said that, I just cried. I was just like, oh my God, that is so beautiful. Yeah. Because I, that, I that. when you work with them like that, when you really get to know them, they, it is like you're in, you're within this, yeah, wheel of power, basically. I love that. I was actually going to explain if you. I was wondering if you could actually explain more the significance of the rune wheel. So I think people see that in books, like they're they're all spread out in that kind of wheel. Is that because it's this ring of power? I don't know. Actually, it just seems to be the way that they want to go. I mean, there's something in the circle. I mean, the circle is very, very divine, feminine, and it's very, very like it's creation that circle but I've, I've never actually read anything about that but yeah I mean like I have a drum and I painted the way the runes Ooh, on them. I, I feel like it's just more of the mystery then okay that's perfect yeah, yeah. I just I love all of these old stories because I feel like there's so much mystery even when you were describing the goddess um Eden I know it's not spelled like but it's like with like you said it was that whole kind of basket of apples and I thought of the apples of Avalon I thought of I was just like it's so interesting how the apples throughout time have been the symbol of the other world and I don't know I just think it's amazing the similarities the differences because 
really, I feel like wherever we go, we're bridging, like we have this world and we're bridging it with the other world. And I think that's what like the Norse, um, I think all of these different old beings, like I feel like they knew how to connect between the worlds. That just sounds so beautiful to me. Yeah, they just lived it. Yes. You know, they just did it. It wasn't anything they sort of believed or didn't believe. That's just what was, that was just there. Just while I think of it, if anybody wants to have a go at practicing things in Old Norse, there's this amazing American guy called Jackson Crawford, and he's got um, YouTube videos that are quite fun and informative. He was teaching at one of the universities. Um, but yeah, because they, 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 the way that like Danish is spoken today, it's quite different from how the Old Norse pronounced it so it's quite fun to sort of go back and like hear yeah how they used to say things so if you want to try it out yeah go and have a look at his stuff on youtube i'm sure there are people who want that i, I feel like people are going to listen to this like we want to learn all the old language oh my god so i have like one more big question um i'm just wondering how can working you know with you know the norse gods and norse spirituality you know and even the ruins you know help bring powerful healing you know and meaningful change to our world that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant question. So, you know, I probably should have said this before. I mean, my interest in Nordic spirituality, it's for me personally, I don't teach, I don't teach on Nordic spirituality. It's not my area of expertise. I've gone and trained, but I use it in everything that I do. So I do teach stuff on earth healing, healing systems, the runes come into everything they connect right up to the highest heavens and then they go right down right down into the earth they ground things so incredibly and in my experience that's quite unusual in new age systems we're really good at going all the way up we're not so good at the nitty-gritty stuff and like getting it right down into the earth and they hold those qualities so people might not necessarily know that this is a big thing for me and yet it's in my everyday life it's really affected the way that I work the way that I see myself um yeah yeah no I can just say when I saw that because I know your website usually focuses on Sarah I remember just like seeing that little thing about Frey and I just like my whole body lit up and I was like, I need to interview her about this. We need, and like the ruins, because I just think that there is so much power. There's so much power. There's so much magic. Yeah. Like, even if, like you said, it's not the thing that you teach, I can definitely feel that it's part of you. Like it just feels very, very strong when you talk about it. Yeah. And I have, I have taught, I have taught some classes um, on it and I mean, one thing about the runes is that they're not used enough magically. So one of the things that they gave us homework for when I was doing my training was like, write your name in runes, which I did. And then I sat there and because like I read energy, I looked at the energy and I was like, oh my God, this really needs some work. It was like those runes were like showing me where my name wasn't grounded, where my soul energies weren't grounded. And so I started working with it after some initial resistance, of course. And I found that working with like 
your name, it grounds your soul energy and your ethanol, your um, surname, it grounds your ancestral energies. So they're portals of power. They are like doorways of power. That is really curious. I almost want to learn more about how to do that. I know that, I don't know if that's like, obviously this is kind of beyond like the, um, what we can talk about today, but I think that's really interesting uh, just because I feel like even while you're talking, I feel like my name, like my last name for Kavici, there is a lot of ancestral, like some things that I feel like need some healing. And so I feel like if I worked with that last name, like really in that kind of more magical way, I think that it would just, I could almost feel talking like it would change so much in my actual 3D life. So I just- It is, it is really profound. It is really profound. And I have done like sessions with people like in person, because a lot of my work is online. It needs to be in person doing that. And I am actually, I'm doing a retreat next year with Sarah in Avalon in Glastonbury. And that's one of the things we're going to do. We're going to chant these names, our names to like ground us in like really, really powerfully. And, you know, I don't see Sarah separate from all of this. She has some quite non attributes. <laughs> she has that objectivity where she's just like, Mm, this is how it is and you know this kind of needs doing yeah so I definitely want to um you know let people who are listening know more about your courses but I'm also kind of guided I I saw that you have that um I think it's like a two or three day trip to Glastonbury next April I was wondering would you share that more with the audience uh tell us like if if anyone wants to go to Glastonbury with you like what could they hope to experience yeah I mean Sarah oh she has a deep presence in Glastonbury and Glastonbury in the UK it's lots of different layers and people go there for different reasons but it has a very powerful goddess presence there people also see UFOs coming down from the tour there's all sorts of things happening there but also the holy family there's a whole like mythology and story that has risen up about them there and it's believed that Sarah was there and that she like trained as a magical adept. So Glastonbury is like the Avalon. It's like the priestesses yes. of Avalon. And she has a lot of alignment with that energy, which is a bit surprising, but you know, there it is. And other people have said that as well. And I used to go down there. So Actually, today is the day that my mother died, oh. like 1996, so long time ago now. And after she passed, Glastonbury became the place that I would run to <laughs> when I was in trouble. I didn't have my mum anymore, but I would go to Glastonbury. And I remember going down there one time, like something had happened, and I was like sitting there. There's a place called Chalicewell, where there's an incredibly grounding beautiful goddess earth spring i'm sitting there in these beautiful gardens like <laughs> and then i can hear sarah just like talking to me like literally as if she was a person sitting there and i was like oh my god you know now i'm having auditory like hallucinations <laughs> she has such a strong presence there and other people have written to me and said the same thing as well and i'm like yeah, that happened to me as well. It just seems to be a thing. And I think it's because she was actually there physically. It's like the time doesn't matter. The fact that you were, you're physically both in the same space, it's an incredible 
place to connect to her. They also um, planted seeds, like energetic seeds around that area. It's an incredible area to, to, to be in if you like working with land energies. Um, and these seeds that the Holy Family planted, they are like things that are waiting to be when it's divine timing so one of them turned into like sarah's um she has like an etheric violet flame temple like in the landscape that cleanses out like all the way through all of the energies around the world <laughs> does it really slowly but oh god there's just there's so much magic so it's the first retreat I've been able to do. I haven't been able to do one until now. We've got a son with um, special needs and it is really difficult for me to plan any time away. So I have had to sort of like clear my diary <laughs> for like the whole year almost just so I can have that week away. So I don't know if I'll ever get to do another one. I mean, who who knows? Who knows? But it's going to be amazing. Can you tell me uh, what are the dates for people who might be interested? Um, I probably could do... <laughs> If I could, let me just have a look. I think it's something like. And I yes. will, um, for everyone who is listening to this, I will make sure there's a link um, either like in the description below the video, or if you're listening via the podcast, I'll make sure it's a link in the podcast for people who might want to go to Glastonbury with Rachel. It's the 18th to the 21st of April. Yeah, I found it written down. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that just sounds so amazing time with you and with Sarah. And also, like you said, with like the runes and the naming, like that sounds so powerful. I, I yeah. feel like when, from what you described, it sounds like you almost changed. Like, I feel like your whole destiny working with the power of the runes and the power of your name. That just sounds amazing. Yeah. And I also um, want to make sure that I present, uh, you have a couple beautiful courses on your website, specifically with uh, Norse mythology and the runes. So um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about those. Yeah, I do. I've got, I've got two classes on my online school that I did. One of them is an introduction to what I call Ascension Runes. And it is teaching you how to work with the energy of the runes. It teaches you how to sing them in more stories about how they came into being and so on and so forth but they are specifically working at an energy on this course that I'm teaching all around our ascension and evolutionary process at the moment so each rune is like I said it's like this vast doorway of power each one can mean so many different things so I have kind of worked with it so it's just like this one bandwidth it's all about ascension. And so I teach each rune in that way and how you can use them and how you can work with them. So yeah, I will also put the link for that below this video too, because that just sounds so powerful. Yeah. Oh my God. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been like such a pleasure and an honor. And I actually just feel guided. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom to share with the audience? I feel like there must be one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just have a tune in and see, see what comes through. Yeah, I mean, it's just, there is a lot, there is a lot to look for. I would definitely like look up the people that I've talked about and Imelda Angfist as well. There is something like 
wanting to come through now, like from this Scandinavian energy that has been missing. Mm-hmm. There are energy points opening up here in Scandinavia. Where I live in Roskila, there's what I call an ascension grid. There's all these ley lines coming in. It's such a place of power. So have a think about traveling to different places in Scandinavia. It's been a little bit cut off because of language, to be honest, but it's not such an issue now. It still can be a bit, still can be a bit tricky. But since I've been here and I've talked to other people who live around here as well, they also think the same thing. They also think there are really important energy things happening here that need like people who like working with energy to come along and, and get involved. Thank you. I think that's really powerful. And I actually have one last thing I wanted to say, and it's about that word power. I've noticed that you use this word um, often in our conversation day. The runes is powerful. The land, like these, these portals is powerful. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people like on our spiritual journey, we almost get afraid of that word. Like, and I feel like you use it. And I just feel like if there's like a pure energy when you mm-hmm. use it, it's like, this kind of pure essence of power. I'm just wondering if you kind of speak to this because you said like the runes are so powerful, like the land, it's like, I'm wondering like when you say something is powerful, how does, how does that word um, feel for you? I'm just curious. Yeah. It's like tapping into an energy reservoir and, you know, like I consider myself as sort of working for the highest good. And as a person who's working for the highest good, it gives me powerful tools that Mm. I can actually do stuff with rather than just sort of sitting there thinking oh I wish things were better you know yeah I like that and I just feel like it's like tying it full circle to this kind of idea of the threads of destiny I just yeah. feel like it's like having the power to shape your destiny I just think having that yeah. like you said not having just kind of sit back and be like oh no the world is kind of messy I can't do anything it's like having the agency having the power to make those differences in the world yeah and then having the norms with you because they will make sure that you're self-responsible all the time because you have to be as clear as possible. You have to really, really look at your own stuff and know what it is that you are putting out there before you can start working with, you know, powerful tools and all the rest of it. Otherwise, it will just sort of like change and shape everything that you do in a way you don't want it to. I just I noticed, by the way, you know, that raven that's sitting there. Yes. That blue tint. I'm matching it in my hair. <laughs> no, I love that. And I thought it was so cool to see that because I know that Odin has two ravens. So he does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. There is eyes out in the world. So they always telling him when things are going on that he needs to know about. He's like, right, okay, better do something about that. So yeah, yeah, no, I just love that. So that's when I saw that, I was like, oh my God. I was like, we have the Norns, we have Odin. I was like, and we have, I feel like you bringing such powerful wisdom through. So I just want to thank you so much for being here today. I just really feel like this was really significant. I just think that, like you said, that these are beings, uh, these are places that are wanting to be remembered now, that there is something that like, I think humanity is ready to tap into again. And I feel like my sense that these these powers, these beings, like they just have been waiting for us, like to be in the right energy for it to be the right moment. And that's why I'm just like, so grateful that we had this conversation today and that you shared all of your wisdom and magic with the audience. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, you know, 
it's not often I get to talk about this stuff, to be honest. And it, it's like, I love it. So it was great. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. <laughs>